Welcome, everyone, to CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for the sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is again Tuesday night. We uh, uh, decided to to do this one again a little early. Uh, we're going to tackle the depth chart as we continue to march toward, uh, I guess, the start of... Uh, of football season um we will do my plan right now is to do this one this week next week we'll actually take a break and do some basketball and then the following week the wednesday before the season starts we'll get into our preseason prediction podcast considering that there's not a whole lot of, you know uh to talk about uh before you know like a game week thing but anyway um let's get started uh, out in uh in arlington justin ferber is back on the podcast welcome back sir what's up bro at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. <laughs> What's up, bro? Uh, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Uh, Dave is not with us tonight. He had some kind of thing tonight. And then Ferber had um, uh, softball tomorrow night, and so I chose Ferber. No, Dave uh, Dave bowed out. He was all salty you know, because he said he hadn't seen anything anyway, so he didn't need to be on the show, um, which I kind of thought was funny. So we're going to dive into the the depth chart, uh, given not just what we saw during the three practices, but everything we've heard since then. And we've we've had a chance to kind of hear from some of the coaches. I kind of wish that, um, you know, hindsight being 2020, that we had heard from all of the coaches before we decided to, to do this. But it, it, I think it'll be enlightening for a lot of people to, to kind of have that conversation um, about the uh, about the, the depth chart. Um, I guess before we get into like going ins and outs and, and stuff of all the positions, Ferber, uh, given everything you saw versus uh, what you've heard since then, what what are, do you still have any lingering questions? Do you feel like you've got a good handle uh, right now on, on kind of where things are for the team as they kind of march toward uh, game week? Yeah, I think we have a good understanding of where things are. Uh, the questions are more about like how things are going to shake out once the games start. But, you know, I think the roster is really falling into place. There's not – I don't know, maybe you could shed some light on this, but – I feel like there's less position battles than there normally are at this time. Yeah, um, it feels like mo- it feels like most of the things, and even with the transition, it's kind of odd. But it feels like a lot of things are kind of falling into place. The only position where we really don't have any idea is kicker, right? And that yeah. we don't really know what's going on there anyway, because that's not really part of practice. So, right? Yeah, I think that one's. Yeah, I would say that you know the coaches keep saying that every position is up for grabs, and and I understand why they say that. In the sense that, and I, I said this on Greg Burton's show uh, this week in Richmond on ESPN Radio, like if everything you get today is based off what you did yesterday, so in essence, the competition never stops, right? So, because he was asking me a question about the quarterbacks and said, "Well, you know, is this going to be a situation where you're going to have one guy and then there's going to be some question? I mean, he's going to ride with one guy." And I was like, "Look, Bronco has said." On the record, like, "Hey, I, I don't want a quarterback, a two quarterback system. I did it once and I hated it." Um, the good news there is obviously he doesn't want to play two quarterbacks. The bad news is is that it's up to the first quarterback, or in essence any position, to hold your position, to be the to be the guy at that position and make it very clear. And so the only way you do that is by being consistent. And so it's up to the players, really, as to whether or not um, there's actually a competition for their spot. So in essence, day to day to day, yeah, there is. But I think you're right. I think a lot of things kind of seem to have fallen in place um, you know, they think there is some down on the offensive line in terms of who's going to do what and how much. Um, it certainly sounds like they – I mean, I was a little surprised to hear um, Coach Tuesday this week say that, that Stephen Moss was pushing for time with the twos because I don't think we saw any of the any of the three practices I saw. I didn't see him making any push um, or getting any real twos reps. So, I mean, I think that's a good sign. Um, but also, too, like like I said, you know, you got to let for that wait for that to kind of settle down. Other than that, I mean, maybe you could say outside linebacker because it sounds like Chris Peace has kind of made a push. Um, but otherwise, you're right. I think pretty much everything else has settled down except for the kicker competition, which sounds to me more like they're letting Nash Griffin push Dylan Sims. Um, but at this point, that one is 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 still TBD as well. Probably the most wide open of any of the competitions, simply because they just don't have a real. Um, they don't have any experience kind of coming back for that position. I mean, obviously Sims has played, but he hasn't necessarily carried the um, the torch, so to speak, as the as the place kicker. So that's probably the one spot that seems um, truly up for grabs. I think everything else there is a you know a dark horse kind of candidate or somebody in the clubhouse who's ahead. 
Uh, and I think you're right. I think that things kind of have, have kind of settled into place in a lot of places. Um, should we start with quarterbacks? Let's let's do offense. We'll come. We'll, it, we'll do quarterbacks last on the offense. Let's let's start with um, with the wide receivers. Who 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 do you feel like stands out, and and, and how do you kind of see the the depth there stacking up? The distinction this year, I guess, is that they're kind of and uh, Bronco made a point of saying this after the spring game, I think, and in sense, uh, but they kind of distinguish between inside receiver and outside receiver. A lot of teams do X, Y, Z um, or something like that. Uh, they kind of do inside and outside. Like they, do, they even have two different position coaches. So um, as far as the outside, the guys that, you know, expect to play the most and we've heard the most about uh, Andre Lavroni, you know, considering, you know, hopefully his health is, is back on track for the season. Um, Donnie Dowling in the same way. Um, and then, Keon Johnson is a guy that you saw inside and outside. Um, he's a guy that I think can move around a little bit, but he he's gonna play I think because he's a good, pretty good blocker. So um, I think he's gonna get some playing time just because of that, if nothing else. And then obviously, as far as like other guys that will earn playing time, I think wide receiver is one of those positions where you're gonna have a rotation. It's not just gonna be like one guy, two guys. Um, I expect on the outside you'll see David Eldridge and Warren Craft a lot, and then. Other guys may be as necessary, but I think that's pretty much the rotation as of now. Am I forgetting anybody? Um, well, let's let me let me take it this way. I I think that we we still don't until you see a depth chart, you don't see how the how the staff kind of kind of breaks down the guys in terms of not just position, you know, the X, the Y, the Z, the F, but also where they are in terms of each position. So you might think, all right, this guy and this guy are, are going to be outside receivers, but you don't know whether they're on the, they're they're stacked up on this side or or, or at this spot. So I'm going to take it like this. I think that healthy, uh, you it's Lavroni, Dowling, uh, and Zacchaeus, and then probably a, a fourth spot opened up, maybe maybe Johnson, depending on uh, where everything kind of lines up. Uh, my understanding is that Zacchaeus's hamstring should be good to go as of this week, so I don't know if he's already practicing again, but that was the expectation according to sources I spoke to this weekend. Um, Andre Lavroni's situation is a knee injury from what I was told, so his was not expected, as Bronco said, um, um, I guess last week. Um, uh, or no, excuse me, it was Saturday night at the, uh, uh, at the Meet the Team. That he, they're not expecting him to to be out too long. It's not a season altering injury or anything like that. But he has not at this point, at least, returned to to full practice. So that's something that they're working towards. Um, I believe Dowling has been a full participant, which is a good sign. Um, so if that's the case, I, I would lean on those guys as well as uh, David Eldridge. I think is going to be a guy you're going to see on the outside, uh, really taking the top off and getting a lot of big plays. Um, Keon, depending on where Keon Johnson fits in, Tanner Cowley is also, I think, somebody you're going to see in the slot. Um, I think it's interesting that you go from like Zacchaeus to Cowley, um, and maybe even Keon if he's in the in the in the mix there. Um, and then I really do think that Joe Reed and Aziz Dubois um, are, are probably in the conversation for for earning some playing time. Cole Blackman, I think, is probably also you know pushing right there. So the depth chart for me at wide receiver kind of depends on what the uh, what the health situation is like. Um, you know, there are going to be a lot of guys I think that are going to play. Uh, like you said, I think it's going to be a rotation. Um, but I think, you know, one guy we have not mentioned is Warren Kraft. Um, definitely a guy I see playing a lot. Uh, could see him pushing for starter minutes at some, or starter reps at some point. So Yeah, um, I, kinda, I listed him with the outside guys just because he's so big. Yeah. Um, but then, like I said, like uh, there's something stopping from El Eldridge from going into the slot. Um, so I think that you'll see players, it's kind of hard to determine a depth chart that this position specifically, just yeah. so many different guys will play and like, you know, one rep, it might be Lavroni and Dowling and then the next one, it'll be Eldridge and Dowling and the next one, it'll be Dowling and Cowley, like who knows? So, um, to me also too, like I've gotten a lot of questions on the board about like who the inside versus the outside and realistically, they're going to move a lot of guys in, in various spots, depending on matchups, depending on game planning and that kind of thing. So. In essence, uh, none of that is as, as important, I think, as kind of the 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 way they kind of stack up, because um, you do you do assume that the, that you have a, a handful of guys that are going to get more reps than the other guys. Um, so I do think that they're going to. One thing I did find interesting from the uh, Kelly Papinga um, teleconference on on Tuesday was that they're going to lean on experience in a variety of ways on special teams, and I think that's going to 
kind of extend to other positions. So I could definitely see them really leaning on the upperclassmen, even though those guys haven't made significant contributions due to injury or what have you. Um, I, I do think they're going to lean on those guys first. Uh, running back seems to be the position that is pound for pound the deepest on the team. I think if you had to go with any of those four, uh, you, you'd feel very comfortable about it. How do you how do you think those four stack up? Um, if if I was if you were forced to to rank them or whatever one to four, how do you how would you rank them and, and kind of talk to me a little bit about why? I think Mizell is number one, but way to go out on a limb there, right? But he it's kind of a caveat with that too because there's probably going to be a lot of plays where he's out like in the slot, and that's kind of the only real difference in the inside outside receivers is like smoke and O are inside guys. So like when they're in the slot, they're in the slot. They're not probably going to be lined up all the way outside. Um, but so I think there'll be a lot of plays where he's in the backfield, but I also think there's going to be a lot of plays where he's in the slot. So, um, after him, I would go probably a tie between Reed and ham. And a lot of that might come down to blocking, in passing plays and stuff like that to get into the game and who grasps the system quicker and that sort of thing. But I'd say they're basically a tie. Reed probably has a little bit more overall college experience, especially an experience with um, uh, this sort of offense playing kind of like a multiple-type system at Maryland. Um, and then Ham obviously has played well in spots as, you know, as a backup. So, And then I'd go Jordan Ellis after that. But Jordan Ellis isn't necessarily like behind those guys. I think he's right there with them. Uh, it's probably going to come down to what the coaches see from the from those three in this fall camp, you know, to kind of determine who gets the reps, and then they might go with the hot hand like running backs often do. So, right, nothing would really surprise me there. Um, I, again, like I could see a scenario where you see a lot of two backs in the in the offense this year. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right. I think you're going to see a lot of the two back. I think you're going to see it um, primarily almost because. The good thing about it is you can you can line Mizell up as a as a running back and then move him out as a wide receiver and not miss anything um, because of his versatility, and that's the interesting part to me is to think about what Robert and I can do with Mizell and Zacchaeus in in, in at the same time. Um, the one thing I, that stood out to me both in terms of the video that's come out as well as in talking to different sources. It certainly sounds like they're going to throw the ball to running backs, and I and I say that beyond just Mizell because I think Reed, Ellis, and Ham are all going to be very integral. But also, too, do not lose sight of Connor Wingo Reeves. Um, I, I think that in essence they can play Reed and, and and Reeves almost as big backs. Ellis is something in the middle now because I think he's he really he really has improved his his quickness and his footwork um, to the point where I could. It's sad. I mean, I haven't looked at Florida State or Clemson's roster, but I wonder if Ellis is the best fourth string running back in the league. Um, because, I mean, just the depth at that position that UVA has is pretty strong. But, like I said, I, I could definitely see a scenario where Virginia plays a lot of two back stuff, keeps Reed in the game, or, or Wingo Reeves, you know, for more for um, almost um, picking up blitzes and that kind of thing. Um, and with the very limited time that obviously the ball's going to be uh, in the quarterback's hand. Um, but but I, I like you said I think this is a great group. Uh, you're going to see lots of guys. The good thing about a pace that they're going to play and the and the style that they want to go and how quickly they want to they want to snap it is that you, you're going to have a fresh running back in there because um, you can you know you can you don't even have to go series to series. I mean you can go within within series. You could go two and two and 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 really kind of uh, match it up well. Uh, on the offensive line, let we we touched on this a little bit in the intro, but let's let's dig into it. So. I think we all agree that Jackson Mateo is the center. And what I found, found kind of fascinating out of 2J's teleconference was is that he said that essentially if he could find somebody else to snap, he wouldn't be opposed to playing uh, Mateo at guard just because he has such a mastery of the uh, of the of, of like the the, zone, the 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 reads and the protections and things like that. And so that almost kind of turned my head a little bit because I would think that 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 you would want that guy to be your center, but I can also understand too that. Uh, having Mateo and his athleticism, considering where he is physically, having him at a guard spot actually gives you a lot of options, you know, being able to pull him, being able to do different stuff with him. Um, so I think that's part of the, the search they have right now. But we agree that Mateo is, is going to start at least at center. Um, the guard spots to me looked like Carl, Sean Carl and, and Jack McDonald had him locked up. But then come, from here in Touche, it sounds like uh, that 
Stephen Moss has, has pushed for some of those reps. Uh, would not be surprised if if Jake Feeler pushes for some of those reps as well. Um, so I don't know who I don't know who to put at guard right now. I, I feel like it should be McDonald and maybe Feeler, but I guess we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. And then at tackle, it seemed like to me Jack English on the left at the left and and Eric Smith on the right were the were the guys that were very consistent over those three practices. But I think Mooney has has it sounds like he's done a really good job of kind of pushing forward. Um, and showing some consistency both in terms of his ability to, to stay on the field but also in terms of his play. And then it kind of sounds like maybe that was a, was a factor in why Jack English maybe didn't have a great scrimmage or, or maybe Mooney capitalized on the opportunity. So uh, it sounds like to me the offensive line has a, has a solid group to work from. The question is going to be where, where guys get slotted and if that's where they end up. Um, but it's funny how you can say that now and folks really kind of trust Touje in a way that they never trusted – uh, whether it's Borbs or or whoever, um, you know, Walkenheim even I think uh, was 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 a victim of this, where he would say, you know, we're going to try Eric Smith on the right side, and everybody would think, well, why haven't you tried him on the left? Um, now nobody seems to question why Eric Smith hasn't played much left tackle. Um, so I think the offensive line seems like it's a it's a it's a group with a rotation. The question is just going to be where everybody gets slotted. Is that kind of the way you see it too? Yeah, it seems like there's you know kind of an eight guy rotation. And, you know, we've seen the kind of shuffling before with different staff. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see things, you know, kind of fall into place the way we sort of expect them to. But um, Mateo moving to guard, obviously, would be kind of something that we didn't really expect. Uh, But, I mean, if it's the best thing, then I can kind of make – if it gives you the strongest five guys, um, I kind of think that that would make a lot of sense. Uh, the problem I see with it is from the snaps that I saw that he wasn't snapping the ball yeah. in camp were not the greatest. Yeah, uh, I think R.J. Proctor is still kind of figuring that out. Um, that's obviously not the position he came into the program anticipating that he would play probably. So um, probably some room to grow there for him, especially with all the shotgun stuff that they're running now. But right. I, th- I think honestly, I think it'll be the five guys that lined up on the first rep of the first day of camp. Um, yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, I could see I could see that being the five, and then and then some some of the uh, some of the other guys kind of working in through that rotation. Because I mean, obviously, you're going to need to get some different guys, some some reps, so that guys get some rest given the pace. Um, all right, so I guess we've 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 dilly dallied long enough. I guess we have to go with the quarterbacks now. Um, I mean, I don't mean like I like I said on Tony Covington's podcast uh, that we recorded on Monday night. Look, I'm not trying to be anticlimactic here, but. It's going to be Kurt Benkert, um, uh, given everything that we've heard. I really do think it's telling that, that Broncos said uh, Saturday night that not only did they, they tried to get Benkert first-team reps uh, as much as they could early on because they hadn't seen as much of him in the spring, obviously, as they had the other two, um, and then at the same time said, well, you know, I'd like to ha- I think I can have, a, have this thing announced in the next, ne- next week-ish um, or shortly thereafter. It would make sense then that the guy who's getting on your first-team reps – um, who you're trying to get a longer look at uh, is the guy you're expecting to pick if you're not looking to to take this thing out because you saw enough of Johns and Brewer in the spring, and at least in terms of in a public announcement, there was never any kind of like, hey, this is the guy, or hey, it's not. Um, so that, to me, kind of tells the tale. And then also, too, in talking to various folks about kind of where things have been, uh, it sounded like Ben Kirk kind of struggled a little bit uh, in the stadium on Saturday during the scrimmage. Um that's something I think they're going to look to try to get him in there more often. Um, they're not sure if it was the scrimmage or, or what that, that, that kind of slowed him up, but um, he's clearly the guy. He's, he's been the guy since he got there, at least in terms of the way the guys react to him. And I think that was probably the piece that a lot of people were kind of wondering the most about, which is that Matt's been the quarterback of this team for, for a couple seasons now. How is, how is the team going to react to this new guy? And the fact is is that he's – not only kind of uh, bonded with him, ingratiated himself, but he's also clearly very talented. And I think that when you when you match talent with work ethic, guys respond to that. Um, they understand the, the 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 long and short of it, and how you know it's got to be tough for Matt. But at the same time, he's got to be uh, you know competing as hard as he can, doing everything he can to to show the coaches that that he deserves an opportunity. And then if it, if it's given to him, he's got to he's got to com- compete. Um, my guess is from our conversations, you're, you're expecting it to be Ben Kurt too. Um, what do you, what, what, what do you, you getting the same vibes I am from all the tea leaves? Yeah, it sure seems that way. I mean, even from the video, it's the more video we see, the more reps of Ben Kurt we see and the less of Johnson Brewery we see. Um, I mean, 
let's be honest. How how far into the first practice was it before we looked at each other and we're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we kind of saw where it was trending, and that was the first practice. I mean, obviously we had a ways to go, but the the te- the arm talent's there. Uh, we know that he can run the system because he's done it uh, at another school. So, obviously, like I said on the last podcast, Ruffin obviously has seen enough of him to think that he was worth bringing in at least. And, um, I mean, other than that, it seems like things are just kind of trending in the direction, and he's probably the best fit for the scheme, so... I think things are trending in that direction. Um, and I think, like I said uh, last week, it gives them the higher ceiling. So I, I think it's the right move as long as he has performed, you know, well enough in camp to be, you know, to where you could make a case that, you know, the whole team needs to kind of buy into it. So I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the thing I'd be, I'd be shocked at this point if he was. Yeah, me too. I, I, I think there is the, the one caveat with this is that he is coming off of a major knee injury. And I understand that he's been working on it on it for a while, and it doesn't appear that he's had any setbacks. But I think, you know, there's got to be some current concern over that, considering that one of the things he brings to the table is is that his he has the ability to to run, that he is a a guy who can 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 spin it, but also can get you some yards on the ground, can play in the read option. Um, so I think that's got to be a concern for him, and certainly a, a big reason as to why whichever one of these guys uh, ends up being number two and number three. Um, they've got to be ready. Uh, this system has, in the past, you know, we, we've seen Taysom Hill go down year after year. We, you know, that's that's got to be a concern with this offense has been, you know, the, the, the frequency of injuries to the quarterback. And so that uh, I think perhaps this year more than most, maybe it is good to have a guy with experience who ends up being your number two and who's ready to – who has under, who's played that before where he's had to come in in a, in a tight spot, um, you know, like that UCLA game couple seasons ago um yeah and and if you're looking for you know if you're worried about the fact that you know he's had the injury or you know he doesn't have a ton of game experience compared to matt johns anyway uh you you know you can look at what the staff did at ec or at uh, byu and kind of can see that you know if if something happens and they have to go to matt johns or or whatever you know they're able to kind of tinker with things to make it work for the players and not try to fit the scheme you know try to fit the players into a scheme yeah, I mean that that's going to be a big I think a big storyline all year long is going to be the fact that they're going to they're going to fit the scheme and the and the and the game plan to the talent they have versus the talent they wish they had, which is obviously not the same thing um on you know despite what you may have seen from Virginia teams of the past several years. Uh let's go over to the the defense and we'll start at nose tackle and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Dante Wilkins will start there. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is 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 willing to to come out here with me on this limb? <laughs> no but objections. I, I think I think Tay is going to be the guy. Um, the the bigger question I have, obviously, at that spot is going to be what's the depth look like, and how often uh, does Ruffin McNeil and Bronco go to that depth? Um, James Trusilla seemed to be the guy with the twos. Uh, Jack Powers was cross training between end and tackle. Um, so if it's going to be, you know, who is it going to be that comes in for Tay when he needs a, when he needs a rest? Um, how often does that happen? And then certainly if there's an injury, um, which could have a dramatic impact, uh, on this season, because I do expect that Wilkins is going to have a monster year. Um, he fits this defense and, and the mentality to a, to a T and he certainly has put in the work. I, I don't think anybody could say that, 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 that anybody on that side of the ball, um, hasn't done his job or hasn't has outworked that kid because um, I mean he just he, he does look like he's in for a huge season uh, like I said I'm not really sure what to expect behind him and I don't think many people are but I, I think Virginia has a has has a really good chance to have a good season if he's able to stay healthy um, let's go to end where it does seem very clear that it's going to be Andrew Brown and Eli handback um, given everything you saw, would you argue with that at all? No. I mean, it, it just it does that one's that's kind of the quintessential example of like things kind of falling into place. Like, I mean, it, they don't have a lot of other options, really. Well, so. but they could, you know, they could <laughs> Jack they, Powers, I guess. They, they could play the Powers kid at end. They could play whether it was like Najee Abdullah, Mark Hall has moved from outside linebacker to defensive end. Um, they could go with um, uh, Stephen Wright, who I think is a very promising. Uh, younger prospect right. uh, who redshirted last year, so I mean they they could go there. I mean it's not like it's not like Handback has you know a marked amount of experience over all these other kids. I mean he just happens to be the guy who we've heard a lot about. Yeah, uh, I, did, I mean I, you, I didn't realize how positive 
you know, his spring was apparently he played great. So yeah, and not just that, but I mean, the the staff kind of sees a lot in him. And I'll say this: from what I saw, dude is strong as an ox, man. I mean, he's a strong, strong kid, and not like he's not like. Um, you know, had his Wheaties this morning kind of strong. I mean, he's like, it's in his bones strong. Like, he's just a strong dude. But I think when the thing that Ruffin McNeil talked about is just his, his football IQ is such that, like, the kid just picks up everything, and he has just a great feel for the game. And it, he he's kind of like the perfect kind of third man in that three in that three-man group on the line because Dante and Andrew Brown are, are just physical freaks in a lot of ways, and they're going to play, make a lot of plays because of the, that, that physical freakdom. And so Eli being the, the, the kind of strong, steady kind of player he can be, if that's, if that's who he ultimately is, that's kind of perfect and, and certainly kind of fits with what Bronco and his staff have done. And like I said, I, I don't think that that depth of defensive end, it's clearly not that deep. I mean, there's not like there's you know a whole slew of guys that you just could throw in there. But I do think there's some interesting pieces. I watched Abdul a little bit. And you know he's put on some good weight. He's got a he's got a really nice frame. He's got good athleticism. He's the kind of kid, and maybe not this season, but next season I could see having a bigger impact. He and Stephen Wright both I think could 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 make some plays. And, and obviously we haven't even talked about recruiting, but just in terms of the players on the team, I could see both of those guys making making a mark. Yeah, and, and from everything we've heard, it sounds like Drew is kind of ready to break out in this scheme and finally going to be you know somebody that's going to be a consistent contributor and not just a role player as he kind of was under the previous staff yeah you know let me say something about drew and i, and I think I, I i know that night i posted like hey you know um and talking to the kid today he seems that he's sick and people you know kind of like oh i remember i don't know i forget who it was but uh was it grafton i don't know somebody said something like Oh man, we need him to to perform up to his ranking. And I mean, I understand that that's a mindset that people have. Like, okay, you were X when you were a high school recruit, and therefore we expect big things for you once you get there. But like at some level, like you got to let that piece go. You know, like that doesn't have it's it's it doesn't yeah, it's have any like, value anymore. Like it doesn't matter. It's not like an NFL team with a salary cap. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Salary to him. Exactly. He's a kid. He's a kid on the team taking up a scholarship, just like the other eighty four are. Um, and, and I, like I get, like I said, I get it. I understand that you want your five star players, you want your four star players to come in there and play like it. Um, we all know he was not given the opportunity. I mean, I don't, that's not like breaking news, right? I mean, anybody who watched that team last year understood that they could have really used, uh, you know, an extra guy or making some plays, and and they just never put him in the game. Now you could argue that like, oh. Well, that's because of X, Y, and Z, and that's fair. But clearly, whatever was happening with the previous staff, you know, it didn't it didn't really include him. And clearly, here he he's being given a a, a fairly large portion of the a, a role here. I mean, he he has a place in this defense, and and it, and it's and he almost seems like to me, knowing the kid like I do, there are some players who you can say you're playing like crap. You need to get it together, and they respond. And there are certain players that you need to be able to say, you can do better than this. And I wonder if one of the things that this last staff, the previous regime, really struggled with was understanding how to communicate with specific kids differently than you communicate with everybody. I mean, we all know that John Tenuta was not the lovable you know, kind of coach. He wasn't Jim Reed, right? We understand that. Um, but when you're, just, when you're just a mean cuss all the time, and I understand that it's it's a nice, consistent message, and that, that in and of itself can be good for some kids. But some kids just don't respond to that. Um, some players just don't respond to that. And ultimately, we have to keep in mind that these are teenagers. And when you are a kid who was a five-star recruit, who has who has to feel the weight of the world on him, right? Like, take away the, 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 the fact that, you know, don't, don't worry about how good he was or wasn't. The world expects something out of him that they don't expect out of you or me, Right. And so he wasn't living up to it. In my experience covering teams, the best players always feel the worst when their team loses because they always feel like they let their team down, regardless of whether or not that's true. Um, I, I remember covering an undefeated basketball team in, in, in Greensville County, and the, and the best player on the team, the best player in the state a couple years in a row, that kid lost his mind after they lost their first game at the end of the season, mainly because he felt like he had let his brothers down. And there's, I think, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a psychological component that comes into this where it's like these kids who, who are highly rated or, or high, you know, lots of offers and 
They have they feel like they should be doing big things, and when they aren't, trust me, you don't need to tell them that they need to live up to their ranking. They get it. They understand. They they feel that stress and that pressure. They don't need you putting anything else on them. So in in essence, I think that kid needed somebody to be confident in him. Um, that doesn't mean you couldn't challenge him. Clearly, he's been pushed by this staff. Clearly, if there's anybody that can tell you that if you're not holding your water, you're just not going to play. It's Bronco Mendenhall. I mean, we've seen it. Um, so he's he's been pushed hard, but he's also he they've built his confidence back up, and that I think is going to be a huge uh, a huge boost for that for that defensive line. And, um, and not just being like kind of like you said a mean old cuss, but also some coaches. And I'm not trying to get inside Tanuda's head or any of the coaches on this staff's head or whatever, but a lot of times there's a tendency for coaches to gravitate more towards kids that they feel are overachieving than kids that they feel like are the – I mean like sometimes coaches will play kids that are like overachieving despite limitations even if they're not – the most talented you know what i'm saying like they might not even be the best fit so like a perfect example would be like you have a quarterback who is like a five-star quarterback and he comes in and he's like making he can make more throws he can do different things he might make some mistakes but then you have another quarterback who comes in as a two-star and he's like a film junkie and he plays himself up to the level of the other kid or like maybe a little bit below and sometimes coaches will want to go with that guy because they kind of value the work. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I, I, I think do. that might have kept Drew off the field a little bit because other guys like Tanuta might have just almost resented the talent. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm getting at? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. It's like it's like you forget. It's like well, he's gifted. So like, even if he's the more, even if he's the player who should play because he's the more talented kid, or like he has the most potential or could help the team the most, they might go with the kid that they feel like has worked. I'm not saying Drew doesn't work hard. I'm just saying like in general, um, sometimes they'll go with the player who like has the effort, like the most effort. Yeah, I I agree with that. And like I said, I think he's in, he's primed for a big season. And a lot of it's going to be because some, you know, I think because the coaching staff really did a good job with him. But also, too, we'll have to see. I, I, before we get to linebackers, I want to mention this. I was talking to uh, one team source um, who who passed along something really interesting that I hadn't thought about, and I said I would mention it on the podcast. What ha- I want to see what happens when these guys face some adversity. You know, Ferber mentioned in our in our text thread earlier tonight. He said something about you know what happens if the team only wins three or four games and. You know, how, what would the offseason look like? Because clearly this is not a staff that would take kindly to, to that level of, of ineptitude. Um, but I was thinking about just in terms of in, in a single game. For example, in the Richmond opener, right? Let's say they come out, they score, Richmond scores, you, you kick a field goal, Richmond scores again, you have a, a turnover, an interception, fumble, what have you, Richmond scores again. Now you're down. Uh, how, how do you respond? What, what's the what's the sideline like? Because you've asked these kids to do some crazy stuff, right? And they've done it, and they've been so excited about it. But you know what? At the end of the day, like there was nobody who was going to beat them at doing that stuff. Now you're going to get into competition where you could face some adversity really early in the season. How, what, do those ghosts start to creep up? How do Bronco and his guys keep these kids at the same level of confidence, right, and belief in themselves and each other and the and the and the scheme and the program? Uh, and the and the mission, you know, how do they keep that level up if adversity strikes? And that's I think where the you know what do they say about playoff series is you know they never really start till somebody wins a game on the road. Like I, I think that's the place where the season starts is once they face that bit of adversity and find their way through it. Because let's be honest, this program has not understood how to handle adversity for years. Um, and I think that's one difference I hear more and more about the you know these these this team. You know, when you compare it to previous teams, everybody always said the right things going into the season. I think everybody thought they had a great offseason. I think everybody thought they had good schemes and systems. But the thing that backed it up was always missing, which was resolve, you know. Like, a lot of guys hated losing, and they would talk to you about how they hated the losing, but they just weren't sure how to fix it. You know, there's a resolve here that they're not going to let that happen. And I think when you add in the things that they've been asked to do, that's that's significant. But like I said, I want to see what happens when they face that. They first get punched in the mouth. You know, how do they handle adversity? How do they respond? And I think that's when you know really how good this team can be um, because they're only going to – look, 
talent all over the place. There's a lot of opportunity and potential. Um, but they're only going to be as good as their minds allow them to be. That's the only way you you kind of you kind of rebound from the level and, and the kind of sheer amount of losing as they've had over the last however many seasons. So I, I do want to put that out there just as a as a as a something to think about and something to watch for. Um, you know, in that first whether it's the first game, second game, whenever there'll be that moment of adversity and those ghosts start to creep in. What do you do? Um, and I think that's going to be something that that goes a long way in defining. Uh, this season for the for the Cavaliers. That's what will development is all about, right? <laughs> that's that's really true. I mean, that's re- that's really true. I think um, they need to really like in in some ways it's the opposite that is the most important. I think they need something good to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not saying something lucky. I'm just saying like they need, they need to, to see it. Work. They need to, they need to see results. They right. need to they see need like to see work. Like uh, specifically, what I'm thinking of is like on the road. Yeah. Like right. they they just need to get a win it doesn't really matter how because then it's like oh, okay we can do this right you know, i would agree with that it's kind of like the basketball team this year where, or last year where they lost those games on the road early in the acc season and it was like if you can just win a road game like they can see that they can do it and then they can do it it was so like they, the, the they proverbial lost, like, ball through the bass you know seeing the lost, ball go yeah. through the hoop they lost like three well, i think it was three the first three acc games on the road and then they finally yeah. beat like louisville and they beat them pretty bad, but it was like, all right, now like. Wait, was that no, no? Wait, was that before or after the weight game? Or maybe it was the weight game. Maybe. I think the weight game was the one that the like, was, one the, was the first one. Was the was the. But weight then it was like, okay, like all right, we're good now. Like we can, you know, oh, we're yeah, fine. we remember how to do this, right? That's a good point. Right, you kind of figure it out from there. Um, outside linebacker, I would have told you going into today, uh, and again, we're recording this on on Tuesday night. I would have told you going into today, it was going to be Malcolm Cook and Corey Jones, and there was no doubt. Uh, Kelly Bopinga this afternoon certainly intimated that Chris Peace is, is definitely in the mix, if not kind of pull the head of Corey Jones a little bit for that other outside linebacking spot. I think you'll have those are your three guys in the rotation. Papinga said he likes to have three, have another one ready just in case, but those three are going to be the ones that would get reps um, during the game. I think that's that's going to be your look. And I'm, I'm like I've said before, I'm I'm, have, I'm expecting to, have, to see a huge season out of Malcolm Cook. I really think that this scheme fits him perfectly. I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for him to um, to finally kind of catch on, and, and, and he certainly has found a home there, as, as I wrote in the piece or that ran this morning. Um, but I, I really think that the other spot could be just as, if not more important, simply because you got to find consistency um, among your linebacking core, and you know you're, what you're going to get out of Kaiser and Bradshaw. You know that Cook has a lot of talent. Um, you have to have that other spot and not have it, have it not be the wink link. So I'm guessing you're expecting those three guys to kind of be the rotation at outside linebacker? Yeah, definitely. I'm excited for Cook just because he's a guy that when he was brought into UVA from Fork Union, I guess I keep thinking Armstrong. That's um, right, yeah, he was there first. Um, he was a guy that, you know, is so physically gifted. It was like, how are they even going to use him? Like, what is he going to be? Um, so now to kind of see, now it feels like he has something, like he has a position. So I think it'll be exciting to see if he can actually unleash some of those weapons in a game. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you, 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 obviously Corey Jones seems to have kind of the inside track at the other outside linebacker spot. And I think we talked earlier, or maybe you said this on the board, um, kind of comparing him to some of the things that Max Vallis did um, and saying how they kind of put him in a position to succeed because they made things simple for him. Um, you know, focus on these three things and you're going to succeed. And I think if this staff can do that, then then Corey can probably get it done. I mean, I'm I'm sure as he gets game experience, he can handle more complex things. But since it's such a position shift for him, I think just, you know, if it's like get to the quarterback or contain, you know, on the edge, that kind of stuff, then I think he'll be fine. Yeah, the thing about Corey is that he just doesn't have a lot of football experience. Right, I mean, exactly. That's like one exactly. year of high school football and then he came to UVA and he redshirted. Um, so now I I, I agree. I, you know, if Peace is pushing him, that's good for the team. That's good for both of them. You know, I'm always going to be one of these people that thinks that competition is a good thing. Um, so I kind of, you know, I look at that the same way um, here. Um, inside linebacker seems to be the place where Virginia has the most talent. Um, you got Mike Kaiser, who needs no introduction. Zach Bradshaw, who is a kid that uh, clearly has a, a lot of chops and I thought looked as good this camp as I've seen him. Just from the standpoint of you, you could tell he was moving around well, he was healthy, and he certainly looked to be um, really dialed in. Um, 
and then behind them you got Stalker and uh, CJ Stalker and Giovanni Simmons, who two very talented young guys who I think are gonna see um, are gonna see some some action this year at various places. The question I have about the inside linebackers is gonna be how often does uh, does Hunter uh, move them around? You know, uh, if they end up going to a three-three-five or, or or some type of other you know base kind of kind of look, who 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 stays and who goes? What's the what's the linebacker core look like? Because um, y- you expect Kaiser to be on the field a- as much as possible, but also too, it's probably a good thing if you know every once in a while he gets a rest. Um, I mean, a kid put on a lot of miles last season, so um, clearly we we expect those to be the two starters and the two backups um, on the inside. And I'm guessing you would agree. I would, yeah. I mean, it seems like things have kind of been trending that way. Uh, obviously, Micah was, you know, you can put that one in pen in the preseason. And I honestly think Bradshaw is going to be a good fit for, a better fit for this than what he was doing before. Yeah, I agree. So I think um, at inside, he's going to be able to kind of like move around. He's got good lateral movement, so... That's important for an inside linebacker. I mean, obviously, he was kind of recruited as a wide receiver. So um, I think he's got that athleticism and pretty pretty good football IQ. I mean, he seems to have a knack for doing what he's asked to do and kind of you know, staying in his lane, I guess. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's going to be a good twosome there. I just keep thinking back to that first game where he was kind of forced into action against Georgia Tech. And uh, he didn't play too bad in that. I mean, that's a tough team to play your first game against. <laughs> For and, a linebacker especially. And I think he did okay. So I think he'll be okay. And this will be his first real, like, significant, consistent action on the field. So I'm excited to see what he can do along with Micah. Micah will probably make things a little easier on him by just playing really well, you know, on his own. So And being solid, too. I think that's the thing. That's a, yeah, consistency, consistency in the, in the yeah. middle of this defense is going to be – um, probably one of the biggest benefits that they have, aside from just having a bunch of playmakers kind of littered around the the the, the field. Um, defensive backs. Let's start with the cornerbacks, and I think both of us agree that Tim Harris and, and Juan Thornhill are the guys. Uh, Miles Robinson may, probably makes the big most sense of a of any of the backups. Um, they're not really terribly deep at cornerback, so it it wouldn't surprise me if they had an injury or or had some kind of situation where they needed to go with a young guy. If one of the the young kids got a look. Kareem Gibson is probably a little bit off of what they would like to have in terms of size. Um, you know, he's a little shorter. I mean, I think you're going to see Virginia now really focus on six foot and taller cornerbacks. Um, they seem to really like that length and that athleticism. Um, you know, playing press coverage, jamming folks at the line. Um, so I think it, it's clear to me that Harris is is poised for a big season because he fits this so much better than 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 the previous uh, scheme. And Thornhill Thornhill is going to be the guy that a lot of people are are going to really take notice of. Um, it's funny to to see him having moved as many positions as he's moved uh, over the course of his career, and yet he's, he just manages to make plays wherever he goes. Um, my guess is you you would agree with me about uh, everything I just basically said about the the cornerbacks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think Tim's going to be great. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I think this is like we, you know, we've been saying since back when the previous staff was here that he's just a better fit for this kind of, um, you know, the press coverage and you know what he's asked to do there. And then the second cornerback, I think Juan Thornhill's got the same kind of skill set, and um, I'm excited. I think he's a good athlete, and the coaches really raved about him. So. Uh, as far as the you know the third and fourth guys that you know you saw some guys with not a ton of game experience but flashes you know in practice so I think there's definitely talent there and capability so um, it'll be interesting to see how that group kind of comes together as the season goes on and if that there's any shuffling there but I'm I'm pretty confident in those two guys obviously Thornhill there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve just in, once the game start of getting used to you know playing on the edge like that but I think he'll be okay. Yeah, I agree. Like that Oregon game might get a little sketchy for him, but um, I think he'll be fine in the long run. All right, you want to you want to tell me who the who you think the the starters are going to be at safety? I think it's going to be Quinn Blanding. <laughs> Just going out on a limb, like you. More more of a more of a lot. Quinn Blanding to start at safety, or Dante Wilkins to start a nose tackle. Just got my column. No. Yeah. Um, so Blanding and and Calvin Rainey seem to be now that Thornhill has moved over to cornerback. Um, 
it seems like Rainey will will be the guy. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think we did between, see some Kurt Garner. Um, yeah, but that that game. was. Yeah, I'm not sure what that was about. Um, honestly, because I mean, I never. I don't think I ever saw Kurt taking any reps with the ones. Yeah, it could have just been like reading into like you know Rainey was getting his helmet fixed or something. Or who knows? Taped up, you know who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Garner as well as uh, as Will Wahi are back there at safety. Jordan Mack. Got a mention today in uh, Kelly Papinga's trailer conference because he was talking about how he was one of the several young guys who has apparently you know shown pretty well on special teams. Uh, I'm not sure if that means they'll play them um, or not. So hand, you know put your pitchforks down. Um, but if if that's I really think that Mac has a has a really bright future. I, I liked I liked what little glimpses I got to see of him uh, and just really the way the biggest thing to me was the way he was taking coaching. Um, so Rainey definitely makes the most sense uh, back there, like I said, with Thornhill at corner. Um, I guess the only the only unknown right now in the defensive backfield is going to be, you know, is Darius Lattimore able to work his way back and, and be kind of a full-fledged member of the team? And if so, that's obviously a really good thing because that just that gives you basically two cornerbacks that you two cornerbacks that you feel really strong about between him and, and Miles Robinson. And Miles Robinson, I got to say, was a had had a really nice few practices of what I saw. I mean, I realized I didn't see everything, but I thought that that he did a really good job of of making plays and 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 being in the right spot um, more often than not. Um, let's uh, let let's try to tackle the the, the some of the special teams angles. Um, return game. It, it seems like the the familiar faces are going to be the ones you're going to lean on. Um, you're going to see Virginia lean on in the sense that uh, Mizell seems to be the guy at punt return. Um, Zacchaeus also kind of in that mix as well. Uh, kick return, both of them, Daniel Hamm, um, Chuck Davis, um, seem seem to be the guys getting the most uh, mention or the most kind of buzz about them. Uh, but one thing that did stand out to me that I did want to mention was Papinga said that essentially they really like to lean on experience when it comes to special teams, and that's something that I think is going to be interesting to watch going forward because – I think anybody who, who, when we talk about punt return, we can't talk about Virginia without mentioning Dominic Terrell, who a lot of people believe, and, and I happen to be one of them, that having him out there as a freshman that first year really, really hurt his confidence and probably messed with his career in a lot of ways um, because he just really struggled with it in a, in a way I don't think many people, including especially the coaching staff, expected. And you can really ruin a, a young player's confidence and, and kind of his, his kind of outlook on himself and his position in the team and you know why he's there and all that kind of stuff his outlook on life you know if he's thinking he's going to go to the next level and he goes out there and makes lots of mistakes um i just think that that's a cautionary tale about putting a kid out there who's just not ready for it um mainly because you you you, you probably made some promises in recruiting or maybe you, you maybe you didn't necessarily promise it outright but you just wanted to do it anyway um so i i don't think that's going to be something you're going to worry about Obviously, with this staff, um, who among those um, you know guys we talked about in the return game, who 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 are the guys you're really ex- excited to see back there? Is it is it just Mizell and Zacchaeus for you, or is there a specific guy you're really kind of hoping to see uh, returning, whether it's punts or kicks? I think Zacchaeus will be fun, um, just because he's got a lot of. Once he gets that second level, he can really go. So if the blocking's there, I think that'll be good. Um, I honestly. The way I look at it with smoke is I'd rather him not do it because <laughs> I'm I'd, the same way. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather just keep him off the field in those situations and yeah, healthy. I, um, I mean, you have a lot of guys who can return punts and kicks. Yeah, you, know, you don't have anybody else who can really be who Mizell is. And Bronco made a comment. I think it was in the spring where he was like, "The first thing I need is somebody to catch the ball so I can sleep." Right. And then after, then we'll worry about the rest later. So if you can find somebody that can catch it, I'd rather leave smoke out of it if possible. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I understand, too, the, the idea that you want to put your best playmakers in a position to make plays, but also, too, like like I said, smoke is a guy who can do things for you that not, a, not you know, maybe Zacchaeus can, but that's pretty much the list. Um, you know, he is, I would imagine he's a centerpiece of the offensive game plan. There's really no need because, I mean, realistically, what you need, like you said, is you need a guy who's consistent enough, catch the ball. You know, if he gets some positive yards, that's great. He put, you know, flips the field position, that's even better. But realistically, you just need a guy to catch the ball. That's it. That's the list. Yeah. Um, and if you find that, you know, do it, do it without putting one of your guys at risk. I think that's smart. Um, so I think, obviously, that's a good place to, to wrap it up since we've we've now worked our way through the whole team. And like, like we talked about earlier, it, it does kind of seem like things are kind of lining up. We'll be very interested to see if we do get a, an actual depth chart 
that first uh, Monday afternoon or if we are just kind of left on our own devices until the, the game notes, uh, excuse me, until the game actually arrives and we can, you know, see what the, the placard says in the press box. Um, even then, that's probably just a guesstimate that they make for, you know, for those of us uh, covering the team. But um, Yeah, I mean, like, the one thing I wanted to say real quick is I know people are probably going to ask you, so I don't think they're going to just come out and name a starting quarterback or anything in the middle of the week. Yeah, that one's good. Um, well, the thing is, is we have a we have a teleconference with Bronco not uh, on on Friday, okay? And so we have Mark Atuaya tomorrow, which is Wednesday. So you're listening to this probably on Thursday. Sorry, uh, Jason Beck is is on is in Thursday morning, and then we have Bronco Mendenhall on Friday. So if if we I will, I'll be interested to hear what we do or don't hear from Beck on Thursday. Will Bronco come out on Friday and announce one? I, my gut says no. My gut says he he might say, uh, you know, we've I, I could totally see Bronco saying we've made a decision, but I'm not going to mention it publicly or something like that. But I also could see him being just the kind of yep, that's the team. You know, this is who we are. Um, so, but I definitely don't expect a, a full on depth chart anytime soon. Um, I, I do think he's going to get bombarded with questions about the quarterbacks and how he handles it. Uh, you know, that's. Uh, he he runs he runs the ship the way he wants to so we'll see I, but the fact that we do have that opportunity that media availability on Friday does at least open the door for us to get some 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 quarterback right you're at least, you'll news. at least you'll at least get some questions though that's right we'll at least be able to ask him um, yeah. and have but him I think a lot of people says. want like I just want to know and it's like you might not know until they trot out on the field like, that's right that's um, very and, true. I mean if not if you know if not you'll probably find out the Monday before when the depth chart comes out. If if a depth because I mean it's a non ACC game. Yeah, so they, it's a rich, so it's they rich don't have so, right. you know they don't have to uh to tell us anything. They can just kind of do whatever they want. Um so we'll see. But anyway, want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen as always. Want to thank Justin for being back on the show with uh, with us uh, again. Hopefully uh now that softball's about to end, we won't uh, have any issues getting the crew back together. Um <laughs> But <laughs> on that note, thanks again, everybody, for, for supporting the show. For Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.